Jeff could not have known this, of course. Um, but I learned this song uh, before I was a Christian. Because one of the people who spent untold hours with me, uh, talking to me about the gospel, was my scoutmaster, who was a elder in a conservative PCUSA church in the little town I grew up in. And he was an evangelical believer, and he believed that part of what it was to be a scoutmaster was to consistently share the gospel and demonstrate it in the way that he lived and loved us. And so I learned that song sitting around Sunday morning campfires because we would sing and he would do a devotion before we'd pack up and go home. And he was one of those people in my life that I couldn't possibly forget or replace. His name was Terry Hills, and he thought about himself in a different way than most of us think about our own lives. So the question that we're trying to answer in this talk is, why does this new way of evangelism necessitate a new way of living? So, uh, while perhaps 30 years ago there were some vestiges of this worldview that you could tap into, very rarely do you find those vestiges anymore. Instead, mostly what you find is this, and this is why our way of evangelism is different. TJ helpfully came up and gave me a comment that over here, feelings rule, and that's for me. Like, I assert my privilege to live the way that I feel, right? But also, it's also my feelings rule over you. And that's why um, offense is such a big deal. You offended me. And that's the worst thing that could possibly be. Because my feelings are so important and you violated them. Is that fair, TJ? Fair way to put it? That's why offense is such a big deal. All I have. You took away all I have. It's important to realize that that's what people are actually saying. Because it is all that they have. Go ahead. Right. It can. Yeah, it can. Yeah. So being considerate of people, actually bearing the fruit of the Spirit towards people. Is super, super important, right? Okay, so why does this new way of evangelism necessitate a new way of living? Um, Matthew, there's a number of texts that I'm going to reference. You can see them listed there at the top. Matthew 24, 14 um, is a bottom line for me. It forms my personal lifestyle and, and flourishes ministry. Actually, here's what Matthew 24, 14 says. Um, there's lots of things in Matthew 24 that are unclear. I've taught through it. I've preached through it. It's, there's lots of things that are challenging. This is not one of the challenging parts. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Has the end come? Good. Whew. I'm glad none of you are under the delusion that this is the new heavens and new earth. It is not. It would be much better than this. The end has not come. This tells us what our marching orders are, that the gospel of the kingdom needs to be proclaimed throughout the whole world. Um, I used to live in Seattle. Lived there for 13 years. We moved a little over a year ago to North Idaho. I live about two hours from Canada, about eight hours from Boise on the shores of Lake Coeur d'Alene. Yes, it's as beautiful as you think it might be. Um, actually, not too bad. The lake moderates it. Not too cold. Warmer, much warmer than where I grew up in New York. Um, 
in Seattle, you're almost as far away from Jerusalem as you can be. You're almost on the opposite side of the world. We, as, as Americans, we tend to think that the nations are other places in the world. We tend to think of missions and missionaries as what happens overseas, like not in the United States. Now, back, my background's Jewish. In a setting like this, most of the time, there's not another Jew in the entire room. Y'all are the nations. Oh, really? Oh, we'll talk later. Um, that um, y'all are the nations. America is the nations. You're, you're, are, you are the nations. Your neighbors are the nations. Missionary work is here. Is it there also? Yes. But it's absolutely here. This is our calling. The gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. You're in the whole world. So this is the bottom line for me. Um, this is, this is, uh, makes up uh, some of our motto. Um, that what this means is that when you look at the texts that are there, those are basically the great commission texts in the New Testament. Okay, the texts that are listed across the, no- the top of your note sheet. Um, every single Christian, now somebody may have never told you this, and I'm sorry if they didn't, but you'll know after today. Every single Christian is a missionary. All of us are appointed into missionary service by being children of God. Every single one of you. Okay? So, um, and I am sorry if nobody's told you this. um, uh, One of the uh, guys that's been formative for me talks about a church family being a family of missionary servants. Family of missionary servants. That that's what a congregation is. Uh, Sometimes when I say this, people push back on it and they say, I'm not a missionary. Missionaries. And then they have something that fills in the blank. So you tell me, let's fill in the blank. Missionaries, fill in the blank for me. Who are they? What do they do? Missionaries go to Africa. What else? Missionaries are poor. The enemy of everything that's American and right. Missionaries always ask for money, so they're desperate. Okay, what else? Missionaries, fill in the blank. They have a special calling. All right, what else? Missionaries, they're sent. Okay, what else? That is their career. Yes, good. They teach scripture. Okay, what else? Missionaries... They're more religious. That's very important. Okay, what else? Somebody else said something else? They're extroverts. They evangelize. Okay. They have a heart for the lost. Okay. All right, so you've filled in the blank in the typical ways that people do it. So what is a missionary? A missionary is someone, this is Matt's definition. A missionary is someone who believes that people who die without knowing Jesus will face a justly wrathful God who will punish forever rebels against his rule. That's very blunt. Sorry, you hired a New Yorker. A missionary is someone who believes that people who die without knowing Jesus will face a justly wrathful God who will punish forever rebels against his rule. As a result of believing that, as a result of believing that, I was recently talking with somebody who was in another church setting. Um, I can't remember where this was in the country. And somebody... Um, 
approached me. It's actually, is it uh, somebody at the church in Maryland that I'll, I'll go to from here? Um, he said, I've recently realized that I don't actually functionally believe in hell for people that don't know Jesus. He said, my, my life is not as shaped at all by that reality. Uh, somebody I was talking to yesterday, um, or maybe it was this morning, and someone asked me, so you're bringing fire and brimstone today? I was like, mm, I don't know if that's exactly. He's like, yeah, we don't hear that much very more anymore. And um, you may or may not know this, but there was two, two, Jesus had two favorite topics in his preaching. Do you know what they were? <laughs> Money and hell. Jesus' two favorite topics by frequency. Which is interesting because those are the things, if you're a preacher now, that will get you in trouble if you talk about them. <laughs> So don't hassle your preachers if they talk about money or hell. All right. So because a missionary believes that a missionary is someone, well, pretty simple to say, on a mission. So here's how we tend to think about missionaries. We think about missionaries. They're a different kind of person than me. They do different things than I do, and they do it somewhere else in the world. They're a different kind of person than me. They do different kinds of things than me, and they do it somewhere else in the world. And what I want to kind of poke at really is, what if that's inaccurate? What if missionaries are people just like me? They represent God and speak His message to those around them, but they may or they may not do it somewhere else in the world. What if missionaries are people just like me who represent God and speak His message to those around them, but they may or may not do it somewhere else in the world? See, friends, the fact is is that if you know Jesus, he's appointed you as a missionary. It's not an optional part of being a Christian. It's not something that some people do and some people don't do. It's something that all of us are called into. You might remember um, in the Sermon on the Mount, um, Jesus says, go be salt and light. Is that what he says? He says, what? You are. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5, go be an ambassador for Christ. Nope. He says, we are. We are. Great commission passages, you can go read them. They're for all of us. Every disciple is called into the mission. If you know Jesus, he's appointed you as a missionary. The challenging question then for you and me, I live in a new place. The people on my cards that uh, I'm trying to think about and pray for, uh, they're all new friends, right? Because I live in a new place. These are all new neighbors of mine that don't know the Lord, Brian, Tina, and Chris. The challenging question then is, how are we doing it what Jesus called us to do? How are we doing it what Jesus called us to do? Uh, typically, missionaries accomplish their mission through the use of words. They do it through the use of words. They love their neighbors practically, physically, for sure. It should be obvious to the unbelievers that you know that you love them. And they're the, they're the judges of that. They know whether they feel love from you. Jesus says, love your neighbors yourself. Can they feel it? Do they know it? Can they point to specific things in ways in which you've loved them? 
the, the real ones that live next door. These people here are all within walking distance of my house. Brian, Tina, and Chris. They're all within walking distance of my house. They are my real neighbors who don't know the Lord. How are we doing at what Jesus called us to? Typically, missionaries accomplish their mission through the words, their use of words. Um, there are all kinds of missionaries, actually, if you think about it carefully. Um, I work um, in the uh, Apple ecosystem, and so this talk was written on a Mac. There are missionaries for the Mac on which I wrote this talk. A missionary for the Mac convinced me to turn to Mac, for which I am forever grateful. Um, after struggling with PCs for years, uh, we, we switched to Mac as a family. While I was writing these words for this talk, I was sitting next to my wife and a friend was being a missionary to others of a certain beverage. You should drink this. There are missionaries all around us. Um, I, I'm going to alert you to something. Some of you who read cultural analysis and all those kinds of things, this won't be new to you. But for some of you, it's going to be brand new. Do you realize that every single piece of advertising is missionary work? Every single piece of advertising, whether it's in your, your Instagram feed and it's an ad between, whether it's you're swiping, you're looking, you're on the highway, you're reading in magazines, you're reading in the backs and fronts of books, Everything is coming to you and saying, you have a need and I can meet it. There's missionary work going on all the time around you that you're subject to that you may not even realize is happening to you. Missionaries are everywhere. Missionary believes something and so they live their life in a certain way. What's a missionary do? What does a missionary do? I'm following through your outline here. Missionary lives in active belief that today exists because Jesus is yet gathering a people and using me to reach new people with the gospel. A missionary lives in active belief that today exists. Like today. What is today? Saturday, September 3rd. Came into existence because Jesus is yet gathering a people and using me to reach new people with the gospel. So what does a missionary do? A missionary lives for the sake of other people to come to know Christ. So when you look at your schedule, when you look at your checkbook, when you look at your priorities, when you look at your week or your year, could someone observe by the way you live your life by the way you spend your money, by the way you spend your time, by your interests, that you live for the sake of other people to come to know Christ. That's the way a missionary lives. They realize that that's what today is. Now what that means is that you will make quite different life choices. In the church that I pastored in West Seattle, where a lot of this material and experience was built up, we came to coin a phrase as we tried to develop into this family of missionary servants. We came to coin the phrase, which is that many times repenting means rechoosing. That many times repenting means rechoosing. Missionaries, uh, and you guys have it in your answers to the question, missionaries, and you fill in the blank, make quite different life choices. 
Um, I have four children. The Lord convinces a lot of this stuff. My wife and I are both missionaries out of college. We both came from pagan backgrounds. And so we were sort of keyed for this life in a way that a lot of people aren't. Uh, even a lot of pastors, because they, they grew up in church and they didn't come to faith as, a, as an adult, which has some advantages and disadvantages. Um, you can just ask my kids for the disadvantages of growing up in church as a pastor's kid. <laughs> um, but I know the advantages of coming to Christ as an adult. There are certainly disadvantages, but there, there are some advantages as well. Um, both my wife and I were pagans, and so we, we, this, this fit us. We have lived all over the country. We loved Seattle. A lot of people were just like, Seattle, it's so whacked out. Um, but pagans make sense to us because we were them. And um, sometimes Christians still don't make sense to us. <laughs> I live in North Idaho now. There's a few more Christians there than in Seattle, and uh, we're still kind of looking at each other. We're like, oh my. Um, all right, so missionaries make quite different life choices. Um, I have four children. Um, three are, the three boys that are grown and a, a girl came along later delightfully who's uh, 12 and a half. As we were raising the kids um, and living in West Seattle, pastoring there, uh, we made quite different life choices for the sake of having a lot of time in our life for people that didn't know Jesus. One example of that that the Lord led us to is four kids what we told them was one of you gets one activity at a time and all of us will participate with you because you doing this activity, yes, it's for you. You get to play baseball, but for the rest of us, we're there to get to know the rest of your team and see what opportunities the Lord would give us. So we made very different life choices as we raised our kids. We're making very different life choices now. Uh, we live in a place, you know, it's a, it's a spot. Uh, we, I live in a, uh, where I live in Lake Coeur d'Alene. Um, it's in, a, in a, uh, an association that's about 60 lots. So there's about 60 of us that, have, that live in, a, in an association, um, and about 15 of them are year-round, uh, including us. Most of them, it's summer only. So you don't see them except in the summer or on a holiday, something like that. Their houses just sit there bare. It's, it's the, uh, in some ways, it's the evidence of, of the, um, the wealth of people. W- one of the neighbors here that I'm praying for, um, they bought, this is a second home for them, and it was $1.2 million. It's their second home. And we're just <laughs> going to look at it, they're like, and then they bought like a $100,000 boat, easy $100,000 boat, cash. I'm like, then we get to know them a little bit, and we're just like, they think they're living the American dream, and this is awesome. And at the moment, it's awesome. But it'll crash at some point, and our job's to be there. Our job's to be there. To be there when something doesn't work out, when something's disastrous, when something's difficult, when the reality of the broken world pinches in on them. Missionaries make quite different life choices. Is that what your life looks like? The way that most Americans live, I'm just uh, attempting to be an equal opportunity offender here, so if you feel offended, know that I was most certainly not thinking about you but I was thinking about general Americans. 
The way the general Americans live, and sometimes people in the churches, we tend to live self-centered, job-centered, activity-centered, vacation-centered, getting to retirement as quickly as possible-centered, or merely family-centered. But any of those is by definition off-mission. I'd like you to do a brain experiment, a thought experiment with me. If we had an overseas church that's got missionaries you support, right, Jeff? I'm guessing. Okay? So if you had an overseas missionary um, come and visit the church and you ask them, hey, what's your mission work like? And you spent a month with them. They were sent from this church. They were hanging out for a month. Maybe they were on furlough, home missionary assignment, right? You spent a month with them and you figured out as you talked with them that they were not functionally where they were on the mission field, there to see people come to know Jesus. A missionary that comes back, and as you talk with them and dialogue with them, you find out that they are not functionally there on the mission field to see people come to know Jesus. What would you think? you think, why are we spending all this money on you? This is why we sent you. You are off mission. You missed it. You miss what you're supposed to be doing. But couldn't the same thing be said of us? My time has expired. Darn it. Oh, his time has expired. Shall we get the, shall we get the medics? Is your time expired? Oh, good. That's, that'll work. No worries. But Josh, what time do I have? When am I supposed to be done? It's 11 o'clock. And I'm supposed to be done? Oh. 11.45. That's great. Thanks. Should have asked that earlier. Speakers, speaker faux pas. All right. So if you had a foreign missionary come back and you found out that they didn't think that their job when they were on the field was to help people come to know Jesus, you'd be like... What? Well, what about with each other if we're all missionaries? How about us? I said a missionary makes different choices. The different choice that missionaries make is to particularly choose to build relationship with, to spend time with, and seek to speak the gospel to local non-family unbelievers. Families of course, my whole family actually is still unbelieving. So, of course, they are my mission field, right? But I don't actually don't live close to them either. They're all in New York. I live in North Idaho, and I have these real neighbors that are very close to me that don't know the Lord. So, of course, your family, but, but your neighbors, right? Um, everyone hold up 10 fingers like this. Most people can maintain 10, um, 10 relationships. Most Christians, after they lived in a place for a couple of years, have filled up these 10 connectors, if you will, uh, with people that are church people or people in the community that are Christians. And so when I talk to most Christians, when I go into places and I do this, and I do this thing with 10 fingers, and I ask people, who are your 10 relationships? The majority of people, their 10 relationships are all Christians. You can put your hands down. Who fills up those 10 connectors? Think of it of a 5 by 2 Lego. 
They only have so many connectors. Who fills up those connectors for you? Here's what I'd like you to consider. What if you could take those 10 relationships and not drop any of them, but instead squish down the time commitment that you make to them? And you take those 10 and you squeeze them into the space that seven take. So um, I came to Christ in South Carolina, spent a lot of time in the South. My wife, that's where we met each other. Um, and a, a fairly typical traditional thing that you would do, I don't know, Jeff, Tracy, if you guys grew up this way, but you would go after church to grandma's house for lunch. And that's what you did every Sunday. That was the consistent pattern. So what if you didn't drop grandma? She'd be offended by that. But anyways, what if you didn't drop grandma, but you went to lunch at grandma's house three Sundays a month out of four, and the fourth Sunday was set aside to have lunch with somebody that doesn't know Jesus? And what if your life was made up of choices like that, where you purposefully set aside time and energy for three? The three people that are on your cards. What would it look like for you to befriend, spend time with, pray for consistently, and build relationship with those three people that are on your cards? What would that look like for you? What choices would that entail? A missionary makes different choices. They build relationship with, they spend time with, they seek to speak the gospel to local non-family unbelievers. Now, I'd like you to think about Calvary in a different way. What if all of you had your three? And when you got together in, a, in your one-on-one discipleship, or you got together um, as, a, as a small group or as a Bible study, or you got together in a setting where it was just Calvary people, there wasn't anybody that didn't know the Lord, how different would Calvary be if a lot of what you did was pray for those people together, talk about the next step that you want to take, the next conversation you'd like to have with this person. I don't know how to answer this question. Do you know how to answer this question? It's so challenging for me with this person because they're, they, they, they evidence this, they, they live by consensus, and I don't know how to begin to talk to them about that. Do you have an idea how to talk to them about that? What if your conversation was much about those three that each of you have? How different a church would this be? It would be a very different church. And I think that would be a good thing. That's what it would look like if you all were thinking and acting like your missionaries. What could the Lord do if you were praying and you had others praying for God's work in you to make you unselfish in spending time with those folks? Uh, what could the Lord do if you all were praying together for all those folks? If you were trying to um, get training, listen to podcasts, m- more of what we're doing this weekend in brief form because you realize that you were not yet fully prepared to have the conversations that you needed to, but you wanted to. And so that's what you saw in your reading, in your talking, in your podcast listening. So that you could share the gospel thoughtfully with those around you. 
Grab your, um, grab your note cards. Grab those three note cards, or your three pages in your book, right? So you should have three names there. So let's think about your three together. It's your pen. I'm going to do a little bit of writing here. What do you know about... Um, what I want to, where I want to take us is, what do you know about your three? Right? These three, you're going to ask the Lord to help you reach with the gospel. So, what do you know about their spiritual backgrounds? Right? It may be, it may be nothing. May, not, may know nothing about their spiritual backgrounds. I hope, by the end of our time together, that in one conversation with a brand new person that you've never met before, that you can learn their spiritual backgrounds. Um, this, my wife and I um, have done this hundreds and hundreds of times with people. And we can always find a way to find out what their background is. And that's one of our goals in a first conversation with somebody, is to find out what it is. So all of these three people, my wife and I have had first conversations with them, and we know the semblance of the spiritual background that they've got. And that's super important because you're trying to figure out, how do I bring the gospel to this person? And you have to know where they are so you even know what your starting place is or what opportunities there might be there. Does that make sense? Does that track? Okay. And I'm going to teach you how to do that tomorrow night, how to figure out what somebody's background is. Okay. So I'll, I'll say it. So for now, if you can write something down, write a few words down about the spiritual background of the three people that are on your cards. Okay. Ready, set, go. All right. Hopefully we've got something written down about your three. I'll tell you about my three. All right. Um, the one I know most about is Tina. So they, Brian Tina on the house next door uh, wanted to be friends with us, which is great. Doesn't always happen. People find out you're a preacher. It's kind of like, oh. <laughs> um, but they, they, for whatever reason, actually want to be friends with us, which is cool. So Tina grew up Catholic. She's very dismissive of Catholicism now. Interestingly, they just got married. Um, they're about our age, and uh, they just got just got married. They've been together three years. He had been married before, had a couple of kids. Um, she had not, never been married. Um, it's very interesting to meet somebody who's just getting married for the first time at fifty. Um, there's there's um, there's a lot there to learn. There's a lot there to learn. She's um, dismissive of the Catholicism she grew up with, but she wanted a preacher to marry them. So she found a local um, female preacher in town who married them. We went to the ceremony. She wanted me to pray for the meal, which was very interesting, I thought. So I did. She's very sweet. She most clearly rules herself. Um, her husband, Brian, also grew up Catholic, interestingly, divorced, um, professes nothing now. Um, he's very nice, he's very wealthy, and he's very judgmental. When you meet judgmental people, um, there's always a lot of pride. 
to recognize that about ourselves, um, but also about, about others, and there's commonly also pain. So what's there? What's the, what's the pain that's there? It was a SEAL officer. It's an interesting, interesting character. Chris is an enigma. Chris is an African-American. Um, I live in North Idaho. The reputation for our area is for stuff like Aryan Nation and stuff like that. Thankfully, that's changed quite a lot, um, primarily through the importation of people like my wife and I, who moved from Seattle. Most of the people that we have met in town have moved within the last five years, and we're all imports from over the mountains, is what we say. Western Oregon, Western California, Western Washington. And all moved to Idaho because it's beautiful, and it's not quite as wacky um, as some of the places we moved from. <laughs> because this, this is wacky to live under. It's, it's, it is difficult. There's no doubt about it. Chris is an enigma. We were uh, we had folks over for um, appetizers and drinks. I made sangria, half as much as what was needed, which was embarrassing. Um, I'll make twice as much next time. Sangria was really good, but we had to scrap together more as we went. Um, and um, Chris is an enigma. Everybody's kind of sharing where they grow up because we're all new to the neighborhood, don't know each other. And people are sharing, oh, I grew up, her wife grew up Methodist. He didn't take a shot. He had an opportunity and he didn't say anything, which means he said something. It's likely his spirituality is a pain point in his life. So he's an enigma. I don't know a lot. He's lived lots of places. He's done very well for himself. He's younger than me and probably has a net worth that is 10 times what mine is. The guy that can buy a $100,000 boat for cash is in a completely different stratosphere than I'm in. Right? He's very wealthy. It doesn't seem to have made him happy. The person that keeps having to buy, buy a $1.2 million lake house, buy a boat, the person who needs to keep buying is looking for something that they think that they can find in creation. But they can't, because they were made for the creator. So, that's what I know. Not a lot of these three. There are people I walked with in West Seattle for a decade, you know, their entire stories to proclaim the gospel to them. You know, so it, it, I'm waiting for the, the longer time span with all of these. Uh, and actually, we have, we have plans with all of that. We have the next time that we'll see these people in our planner. That's how missionaries live. They think about people, they pray for them, they plan to be with them. So, on your card... The next thing I'd like you to write is what's your next step that you want to pray for as you would move towards your three? You're just praying for something. But what do you want to pray for yourself? That your heart would be different, that you could move towards each of these people. 
You see, we struggle to move towards certain, certain people because they um, sometimes they're just like us. Sometimes they're very different than us. They frustrate us. We've had bad experiences with them. And many times the barrier, the, fir- the first barrier that has to be taken away is not what someone else believes. The first barrier that has to be taken away is, well, it's blunt, but I'm going to say it, is the hardness of our own hearts. Our own lack of compassion. Our own selfishness. Our own unwillingness to get out of ourselves and live for the sake of other people. So as you would think about these three, what's the next move that you want to ask the Lord to enable you to make? The next thing you want God to do in you that you might move towards each of these people. I'm going to write them down for each of mine. You do the same. Okay, so for your three, what are you asking the Lord to do in you? Now this is Gutsy as the speaker, but I will take a volunteer. I'm happy to share my three. Oh, I think it would be encouraging to the group if somebody's willing to say, you know, here's what I'm asking the Lord to do in me, that I take the next step. Yes, sir. Okay. Thank you for sharing. It's a great thing to pray for yourself. TJ. Go for it. Uh Uh-huh. Right. That's great. Good. That's cool. That'll be sacrificial too. It'll cost you. It'll cost you. Others? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, thank you for your honesty. That's great. 
Others? Yes. That's great. Good. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, the longer that I've done ministry, what I've discovered about Americans is it's easy to get money out of Americans because we've got a lot of it. It's hard to get time out of Americans. We feel like we have very little of it. But actually, all of us get the same 168 hours. All of you do. You get the same 168 hours that I do. Question is, what kind of choices do you make with those hours? It's really the question. I realize it's a very blunt <laughs> statement, but it really is. It's your choice how you use them. Very few of them are actually called for, right? Some of us work, so those hours do get called for. You need to sleep. But those run about a third and a third, which means that actually the hours that you have that are discretionary are a lot, if you look at it honestly. All of us have a lot of discretionary time, particularly over the long scales of culture and time. But that's the story for something else. We, we have bought into that that one-third of time is mine. It's my time. I think that if we saw, um, we thought missionaries thought that their time was, was for them, not for the sake of those who don't know the Lord, um, we would probably think they weren't doing their job. So I'm asking you to reconsider that. Um, I'll do my hardest one for you, uh, for me. Um, Chris, the Enigma. Um, has lived all over the country, has many, many different jobs. He's a very high-level job with a big seafood company in Seattle. He's obviously very well for himself. He, um, the way we asked him the story, how did you end up coming to, to Coeur d'Alene, to our little neck of the woods here, right? And he said, well, we were passing through. They actually live in an area of Seattle that my wife and I love. A couple of our favorite restaurants are walkable from their house in Seattle. So we know the neighborhood where they live. It's very nice. Um, and um, so we're like, you already live like in what we would consider sort of a paradise neighborhood in Seattle. And they do. Like, why would you want something more than that? And so the story was, they were passing through, they were going to Glacier or something on a road trip, and they stopped in Coeur d'Alene for a day, we're going to stay overnight. It happened to be a day that um, it was 4th of July, and Coeur d'Alene's a, a little bit more of a traditional place, and so they were setting up chairs along the path for the 4th of July parade. Anybody remember those growing up? I grew up with one, the little town where I, where I lived. They were setting up for the 4th of July parade. And people were like, oh, this is quaint. That was the word. This is quaint. They'd grown up in the Midwest. This is a couple. And um, so they decided to stick around. And African-American man, and he was kind of like, this is a statement. I was kind of really surprised. I thought African-American man, North Idaho, this is going to be bad. And he said, actually, I felt pretty welcome. 
That was his leadoff. That's within the first hundred words he ever spoke at my table. That's very interesting. He expects that I'm going to be a racist. That's what he was saying. I expect the white people in North Idaho to be racist because of our reputation over time and that I'm an African-American. That is a barrier to me. That he expects me to be a racist. That's very hard for me. I feel nervous right now even telling you that. Because I work really, really hard to love people no matter the shaping of God's image of them. But that's a barrier, right? That I need to pray through. He expects me. He expects us to be racist and unwelcoming. My question for him, as I pray through that barrier for myself, is why so many jobs? Why has he chosen to live a life where he's hopped the whole country working all kinds of different jobs? You could ask me that question. I've lived all over the country and done all kinds of different jobs. And I would tell you that the answer to that are not really wonderful things as to why I've done that and how my wife's had to gently poke and prod over the years with me about my unwillingness to stay in one place and do one thing for very long. So I know that feeling and the the unholiness that lies underneath that in terms of idolatry. But why for him? That's my next, the next question I want to ask him. All right. What we're going to do now um, is pray. I know that probably surprises you. The very most important thing that you can possibly do in this whole adventure of being a missionary is to pray. To pray for yourself to be different than you've been. And to pray for the people that you know that don't know the Lord. So, I'd like you to grab two or three people around you. Turn. Share a name. Share the thing that you want the Lord to do in your heart that you could move towards this person. Just pick one of your three. And let's start to exercise the muscle that I think needs to be exercised most, which is our praying. Okay, so pick one of your three, sit with two or three people around you, and share the person and what you want God to do, and we're going to pray for, well, supposed to be done at 11.45, right? So we'll pray uh, to the end. Let me give you a couple of pointers there. There's a couple of verses that are listed there. What are the kinds of things that you're praying for? Let me just read these. Um, These are from Paul. These are the things that he asked, interestingly, Paul teaches us to pray. He gives us model prayers. He also asks for prayer. So here's the things that Paul asks for. Colossians 4, 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison and that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So my catch words for that are door, Asking for a door, 
speak clearly. Ephesians 6, 19 and 20. Again, Paul asking for prayer. Pray also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul asks for words. I think that should be very reassuring to us who feel like sometimes, what would I possibly say? Here's the Apostle Paul asking for words. That's very reassuring, friends. And boldness. Yes, for words and boldness. Second Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2. Finally, brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread ahead and be honored as happened among you. We actually pray for God's converting work in unbelievers as we seek to be faithful. All right. Grab two or three people, say the name of one person, the next thing that you want God to do in you and maybe in them, and uh, I'll close this up in 10 or 15 minutes. Ready, set. The directions make sense? Ready, set. Pray.